I think, in many cases to hire somebody who maybe has not even been in your business, but has been a successful manager in another business. Because if they know how to get results working through others and proven that in a business, there is nothing so difficult about your business that they couldn't learn. But it'll be a lot easier to teach them what your business is than teach them how to manage. This is the Wealthy Contractor Podcast, brought to you by G4 Marketing. Interviews with today's top home improvement entrepreneurs about marketing, sales, money, mindset, and lifestyle. Now, here's your host, Brian Kaskavalsian. Last year, there was very distinct camps, and businesses were, were either in the tomb or they were in the boom. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if we talked about that or not, we but did. okay. A little bit. Yeah. And, and so, you know, to some degree, the government determined that by shutting down the economy and the requirements to wear masks and whatnot and the social distancing. And clearly that took the hospitality, restaurant, food prep, all those people got pushed into the tomb category. And because people are spending all their time at home, there were a lot of organizations, many of your listeners who got into the boom side of things. And I, what I'm witnessing today, and one of my friends and clients who is a, a distributor of dock leveling equipment, so they sell, service, install the, that equipment in large warehouses and, and organizations that you know need to transfer goods from a truck to the to the building. That's what they use the dock leveler for. And he said, you know, this year he's trying not to lose all the money he made last year, and in part because supply chains are so screwed up. And because they can't get people. And so there's, there's no question that one of, the, one of the notes I made about I thought would be important to talk to, to your audience today about was how critical it would be to have a strategy about talent that goes beyond, would, would make assumptions it's not rational or normal what we're experiencing right now. Yeah. And therefore, if you approach your talent requirements or issues with a you know, business as usual mindset, my guess is you're, you're going to be at a disadvantage. So I think there are, there are several things that the, the the listeners really need to give some consideration to. Well, and I'm going to do something I've not done before is I'm going to have people join in after we already started our conversation. So I'm going to say welcome to the listener. This is the Wealthy Contractor Podcast. This is Brian Kaskavalsian with G4 Marketing Group. And that voice that you hear is Ed Epley. This is my second time interviewing Ed. I could have him on week after week because <laughs> I just think he's a really smart guy and he's got a r- really good pulse on what's going on out there because he works with different types of companies as a, what do you call yourself? I, 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 I would put myself in the consulting category. I'm a consultant of sorts. Consultant of sorts. Well, I actually looked up, I told Ed that I, before we started, I had to actually look up his last episode so I can tell you guys what number it was, because I have a very bad habit of asking people to come back and not remembering what number they were, but Ed was 112. And so you want to hear our last conversation. If you haven't, you definitely will after you hear some more from Ed. Ed, you are a consultant. Give everybody just the quick, well, maybe I'll do it. You'll do it. But I met you. 
<laughs> go ahead, I, go ahead. I'll just start it by saying that I was introduced to Ed through Matt Hollander. Matt, I think, is one of the smartest guys in the home improvement industry. He actually, as we're as we are recording this, has successfully exited his business, had a very nice exit, very successful exit. And Ed is a well, Matt is a client of Ed's. He introduced me to Ed. And within five minutes of talking to Ed, I'm like, oh, this guy's the real deal. And let's do a podcast. Let's do more than one podcast. And so here he is. He's back. Thank you. So that was me. Now you give everybody the quick version of who you are. Yeah, I'd be, I'd be glad to. First of all, it's a it's a real pleasure to be back with you, Brian. Yeah, I know you have a, a loyal and large following, and it's because you always try and successfully do bring value to the listeners and viewers of, of what you're offering here in this podcast. So number one, thank you. Number two, I am a consultant. I said of sorts because, you know, my, my job is, is really to help a business advance. I help them get from where they are to be more closely to where they would like to be. Not always all the way there because sometimes I, I'm not needed to help them get that far just to get the, if you will, the ball rolling, get the flywheel turning. Clients probably help me to advance their business, but I think they keep me around because I do three things that they find extremely valuable. One, I help them get a real clear handle of the talent that they have or don't have that they need around them to be able to take the business to where they want to go. Number two, I help make what seems to be very complex things more simple so that they can better prioritize and focus and actually not be stalled by not being sure what to do. And then the last thing I help them do is I say have courage. Now, that doesn't mean that they don't possess it before I, I do work with them, but I help them to be more confident that they can actually make some of the decisions that they either consciously or subconsciously need to make in order for the business to advance. And so I sometimes all I do is say, yeah, you should do what you're thinking. I give them permission to do what they know they should do. In other cases, I'll just help them think through the consequences of doing one thing versus another and and just say which which sometimes which is more attractive. And other times I'll say which sucks less Yeah, <laughs> because sometimes it's not a right or wrong answer. It's just which outcomes do you, you prefer. So you know, that's really the kind of work I do. Yeah. And what's interesting, we were talking about this, I think, before I turned on the recording, is we were just commenting how entrepreneurs tend to be the loneliest people out there. Because who do we have to talk to about the thoughts that we're thinking? And people think we're, we're weird. We were, you know, we were talking about this and we kind of are. And so it's good to have somebody to talk to. It's good to have somebody to bounce ideas off of. But also, I think you also bring a lot of experience to these conversations. And so let's talk about, we started the conversation about talent. Mm -hmm. And right now it's tough getting people as we sit here in, you know, beginning of June, it's tough. Certain things are going on in the marketplace. There are more job openings than there are people to fill them. And, you know, it's interesting, Ed, and, and then I'm going to let I'm going to let you go. But you said something about, you know, building that team around you. And, you know, I've been in business for God, it's going to be like almost 30 years. I always knew people were important. It's not until like I really, really, really have gotten it in the last couple of years. <laughs> 
it is the secret, the real secret, if there is a real secret to success, besides mindset and all of that. But when you get down to the mechanics of actually making a successful business, God, people is so important. Well, the, Just, any any business model is going to have a human component. Yeah. And a successful business model allows you to make money predictably for all the inputs. You know what you're going to get as an output and, yeah. and it's repeatable and scalable. So you're going to need a human component in there somewhere. And then the question becomes, if you are successful in growing, you're probably going to need more people than you otherwise would have. And then, then you need individuals who understand how to get work done through others. And that's such a different set of skills than one entrepreneurs have never been, most of them have never been trained to be managers. Right. And, and so that's a, a hurdle. And then secondly, they tend to hire people in the likeness of their own image. And because they know that those traits and characteristics have made them successful, but having a lot more of those generally it's bad for the business. There's always a point at which a strength becomes a weakness. And, and so that's just exacerbating that for most entrepreneurs. So one, they don't know how to manage and lead. Two, they don't necessarily know what kind of people to hire. Three, a lot of the people that they try to promote from within haven't been managed well. So all their, and so that means they're generally going to be mediocre managers because they've been managed media in a mediocre way. So it's a, it's a kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy why people say, well, I hate the, you know, I love my people, but I hate them. And, and that's not unusual, but it's kind of easy to predict. That's what's going to happen. Yeah. So what is your, we started to talk a little bit about your take on what's going on right now in terms of the labor market and, and teams. And what are the things that we need to be doing right now as it relates to talent for us to make it through this it's funny you know i've been talking a lot lately and in a lot of the podcasts I, i'm not sure when this is going to air probably in the next couple of months from when we are here right but in between today you and me recording this and by the time this is released We'll have been talking about this idea of normalizing that this is not the new normal in terms of the boom in right. business, that at some point it's going to normalize, it's going to adjust. Some companies are going to make it and some aren't. So we will be having that conversation between today and the time that this airs. But the, the talent piece of this, the people piece of this is so critically important for the future. So regardless if your business is going to continue growing or it's going to stabilize at some point, you still need that core group of people. Right, right. It's, that's, that's not going to change. And you, you make a good point. What will be the time frame that it is required for us to go through to get to some kind of equilibrium? because right now we're not in equilibrium. There are more jobs than there are qualified people applying for those positions. And as a result, a lot of companies are stealing each other's people. And not that it hasn't happened and, and won't happen in the future, but the, the rate at which it's going on is, is remarkable right now. So if I had a business with, with employees right now, if I had 20 employees, one of the things I would do is I'd make a list. I would 
rate my people as, you know, there's, there's people you hate to see leave right now. If anybody leaves, it hurts, but I would rate them in the context of, would I miss them if I couldn't replace them? You know, and if I would say no, well, okay, I would miss the fact that they weren't, that person wasn't there, but the fact is uh, their talent wasn't special. Then there are those who bring some above average talent to the table. And if they were to leave, we would miss them because there was, you knew they were not yet their best self, but they were a good employee. And so they would be more missed than the first person I described. And, and, and you might, you may might call the first one C's, the second one B's and the, and then the, the remaining group, the, the A's are not only would I miss them if they were gone, but the business would be harmed. Yeah. You have to think about if I think we need to divide that into a, a bit of a subcategory, because I think there are those who are highly respected by the rest of the team. So they have a, whether they have a formal leadership position or not, if they were to leave the rest of the, the people would question, why did he leave? Why did she leave? And it would, it would damage the culture that this person was no longer there. Yeah. So that's one category. Another reason that they would be an A and we would hate to see them leave is because of they maybe are currently a manager or we would see them as somebody who was going to become somebody that we could place more responsibility and leadership on. And, and as we know, those people are precious. And, and if we lose one of those, it's really hard for the business to replace that person quickly in most cases. So that's another kind of an A. And then the last category I have would be the person who has intellectual property. They have, they have knowledge about how to do certain work in the business that doesn't exist anywhere else. And so if we were to lose that, the performance of the business would be harmed because nobody else really, somebody else is going to have to learn how to do what that person knows. And that, as you know, is very expensive and, and hard for the business to overcome. So A's, not only would they be, I'd be sad to see them gone, but they would harm the business. B's, I'd be sorry that they weren't here because of who they are and what their potential is. And then C's are, I'd miss them as a person, but they can be replaced relatively simply. Yeah. And, and once I've done that, that's the first job. The second job is now I have to have a plan of what am I going to do, especially, I mean, it has to be something done for all three categories, but the work to be done to try to retain the A's, there's a kind of work that would be different than more for the B's as there would be for the C's. Right now, you've got to have a retention plan for all categories of people because anybody you lose is going to be much harder to replace than it would be in normal times. So you're trying to minimize reduction of turnover in all areas, but now even have to think about, well, a, a common laborer, if I lose her or him, what would I say or do to try to make that person feel more valued so that if they get offered 50 cents an hour or a dollar an hour, that it, they'd be less likely to leave. And that same kind of thinking has to come back to the B's and the A's, but the, the work that and, and the conversations and things I might do to keep an A are probably much greater than what I would do to keep a B versus an a, a C. Yeah. And if I can interrupt you for just a second here, I, I want to make sure that, that the listener understands where we're coming from in this conversation. This is not a doom and gloom conversation. This is not a conversation about the market. The bottom is going to fall out. That's no, no. not what this is all about. All this is, is there, there are cycles there are things that happen over and over and over again. 
And all we are doing here is we're saying, hey, here are some things to be on the lookout for. There are some companies, yes, there are a lot of companies that are not going to make it through this, but there are also a lot of companies that are going to do very, very well in this. Correct. That are going to grow. They're going to be profitable. And the owners are going to create a lot of wealth for themselves and all of the people around them. So don't get us wrong. All we're doing is we're saying to you, hey, this is an area you need to look out for. Because I think one of the dangers of what happens in times like this is, and I'm starting to I'm starting to get it a little bit because events are back. I was just at an event two or three weeks ago and I heard it. I heard it. People thinking, oh, look how good we are. We're closing at 60 plus percent. We're selling. We had a record month and then we had another record month. Now, all of a sudden, the owner, he's shaking his head, by the way. For those of you that aren't watching us on video that are listening, Ed is shaking his head because he knows where I'm going with this. Owners start to think that it's because of them that, wow, look how good I am. And some of them are, right? Some of them are. But this is a bit of an anomaly. And so I'm starting to hear it, Ed, a little bit. And oh, yeah. You can't go up to that person and say to them, hey, you're nuts. And where were you, you know, 18 months ago? Now, all of a sudden, you figured it out in 18 months? No, I don't think so. I've heard it said, I'll I'll try to make this concise, that the results that any company gets are 20% from things they can control and 80% things they can't control. And so for the listeners, the five things you can't control are what's going on politically, what's going on environmentally, what's going on socially, what's happening overall with technology, and what's happening in nature. So those five things overall contribute 80% of what's going to produce the results we either get or don't get. So we, we control one of six things that, that are out there, all things considered. And most times the reason businesses grow is because the market lets them. It's not because they're that much better than their competitors. It's usually a rising tide that lifts all the boats. Right now, the thing I would love, here's a couple of thoughts. Right now is a time to get talent you couldn't normally get. Yeah. Good talent. Because people are more open to the premise of moving today, switching jobs than they would be in, in any other time. So people are hearing about friends and family that are, are changing jobs and changing even careers because it, it, it rewards them to do so. So right now, having conversations about would you ever consider being in a business like mine is a much is much more likely to yield a positive conversation than it would have two years ago. So this is not, yeah, this is not doom and gloom. This is a, this is a phase that we're going through, but I, I really appreciate what you're saying, Brian, that, that people can be very overconfident right now because they're having record years in growth, but that is not in most cases because the business is that good. You happen to be in the right place at the right time with the right products. And that's that, and you, you should be applauded for that, but it doesn't mean that you're that much smarter or better than what your competition's doing. Yeah. Builder Prime is changing the game for home improvement contractors. Imagine having everything you need to help your business grow in one place. CRM, estimating marketing automation with SMS, production management software, and now call center dialer integration, all wrapped into one easy to use package. 
and it's never been easier to switch CRMs. Hundreds of contractors trust Builder Prime to grow their businesses with powerful reporting tools to see which leads are making money, which sales reps are the top performers, and where to optimize for the greatest impact. We're talking about winning more jobs, boosting productivity, and delighting your customers. Are you ready to fuel your business growth even faster without all the daily frustrations of your current tech stack? You owe it to yourself, your team, and your business to learn why everyone is switching over to Builder Prime, the only true does-it-all CRM for home improvement contractors. Head over to BuilderPrime.com and request a personalized demo with an expert today. And, and it's not to say either that everybody is like this. I mean, there's there's a few people and this happened and, and we talk about cycles and things. I'm at an age now where, man, I've been through, I've started businesses in every one of the last three recessions. I don't know what it is about me, but I seem to like starting businesses in recessions. So you see the same stuff happen over and over and over again. Absolutely. And, one of the characteristics of the companies that go out of business are the owners that get too confident, that get too far ahead of themselves. And my message to people is to make sure that the basics of the business are good, the fundamentals are good, that your profitability is good, that your process is good, and your people are good. Those are the three big things I talk about, people, process, and profit. And so Let's talk a little bit more about the that people component. You know, you said something really interesting and it took me, I actually, I don't know if I ever figured it out, but as an entrepreneur, it's very difficult to hire people. And it's really difficult to hire people that then can go and manage other people. You said something like that. You said it much better than I did. But can you talk a little bit about that? Because that is a very difficult thing to do because what you're talking about is hiring a manager, a sales manager, a general manager, a production manager, of which you know in this business, management is key. Oh, a couple of thoughts. And I'm, I'm making some note here, notes here. But before we go, before I answer that question about hiring managers and, and th- thoughts that go with that, you touched on the, the fact that right now owners can be overconfident. And if I had hair, we could maybe make a, a different conversation here, but you're blessed with a full head of hair. Yeah. But the difference between being extremely confident and being arrogant is smaller than the width of one of your hairs on your head. And arrogance is an ugly leadership quality. And it's ugly for two reasons. One, it makes people feel because you're demonstrating in your behavior acting arrogantly that rules that apply to them don't apply to you and that that so that is not something most people want to be around right and and the second bad part of arrogance is you don't listen because you believe it's not worth hearing and again most people don't want to be around somebody who's believes that they know everything that they need to know so the danger right now of having such success is you you move from probably being self-confident to unintentionally being arrogant. That's that's I just want to make that point. Yeah. All right. Hiring managers, hiring managers. First of all, you have to be aware the danger, the trap of hiring somebody like yourself. You need to have somebody who has demonstrated that they have the capacity to, to produce results working through other people. Right now, I have a client and a friend who's struggling with a particular individual who does not understand that in this case, a guy, his job 
is not to do the work himself. It's to get others to do the work. And because he's a predisposed to be a perfectionist, he struggles watching other people do work that he would either do differently or, in his mind, do better. And as a result of that, even when he does try to get work done through others, he ultimately will micromanage or meddle. And, And so you really have to be willing, I think, in many cases to hire somebody who maybe has not even been in your business, but has been a successful manager in another business. Because if they know how to get results working through others and proven that in a business, there is nothing so difficult about your business that they couldn't learn. But it'll be a lot easier to teach them what your business is than teach them how to manage. Yeah. I would look at somebody who's run a restaurant even if I'm a contractor, because if they can run a restaurant, if they can run staffing and they know how to get people scheduled and can handle people not showing up and and having a piece of equipment breakdown and they still have to serve food. If they know how to do that, they can deal with your problems, your issues as a contractor. It would make you uncomfortable, but that doesn't mean it would be the wrong thing to do. So I would very much look for proven track record of producing results, results working through others. Now, I'm going to also add a caveat here. The single hardest position that I think any company has to fill is their sales manager. Because the work of a sales manager is remarkably different than somebody in production or operations or finance. Yeah. So you need a different mindset of what you would be hiring. And once again, it is really almost irrelevant where they have earned the right and proven that they have the capacity to manage other salespeople. I don't think it matters at all if they know home improvement or not, or if they know construction or at all. I think if they've managed the sales force, they can, and proven that they've produced improving profitable sales for that organization, they can probably do it for you without that much difficulty if they're willing to learn and you're willing to teach, uh, teach a little bit about the industry. So I hope that's helpful. Yeah, well, you know that the larger companies over the last, I'd say, three, four, five years, the larger home improvement companies like 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 Matt and right. a lot of my other clients, they've all, they started that many years ago just because they had to. Correct. There weren't enough people coming out of the trades or the home improvement industry to be able to fill the positions that they needed filled in order to continue growing. And I remember five or, oh God, I don't know how long it's been now, but six or seven, maybe years ago, I was with my friend and client, Brian Elias, used to own a company called 1-800-Hansons. And Hansons had, God, I want to say he was at 60 plus salespeople. And he, every week, every day they were hiring and every week or every couple of weeks, they would start a new training class. Oh yeah. And I happened to, to, to be there when there were some, some new ones coming out of the, of the training. And I, I don't know if Brian started the trend or if he was doing it with other people, but these, these were people that were from outside the industry. They didn't know anything about home improvements. And he would bring them in. They were looking for a certain type of behavioral profile, yeah. type of skill set. And they would say, okay, hey, look, let's put them into a room and see who's going to come out the other end. Yeah, And that's 
how this industry over the last five, six years has really grown so much is to be able to go outside of the industry. And yet, and I know you want to say something, but and yet a lot of the people that might be listening are still like stuck in, well, I have to hire somebody from the industry. Yeah. Yeah. Well, first of all, doing the work I do, I can tell you that while your business is unique, the issues and problems and challenges you face are not. They're business issues. They're not industry issues. So get over that whole idea that your business is that special. It ain't. Right. Okay. It just didn't. So, so get over that. One of the reasons Matt Hollander was able to, to successfully exit the business on his terms, which most entrepreneurs don't get to do, right. was, was because he built around him what I would call is a great management team. Yeah. Now, they weren't perfect. They, they all had issues and flaws. But one of the things that made him his business so attractive to be purchased by anybody that wanted to, to buy a company like Matt's was because there was this group of people who ran the business day to day and had this proven capacity to produce results on an ever-increasing level. And if you look at the people, you know, Matt had a former banker. He had a guy who was worked at a Harley Davidson dealerships. So, I mean, these are, these are people who weren't brought up in his industry, but they were really well-schooled at how to manage and lead people. And so to me, going down that path and being able to take that first jump to be able to hire somebody who's not like us is, is scary. But boy, I'll tell you, it's also liberating once you do it, because all of a sudden the field of potential candidates just got huge. Yeah. Huge. Yeah. Now, I'm going to say something that the 10 million plus guys that are listening, I know you already know this. I'm just going to jump on something that Ed said, but this is for the smaller guys, the smaller guys that want to get to whatever the next level is for them. Could be a million bucks, could be two or three million bucks to a point where you're making, you know, 250, 300, 500,000 dollars a year. This business, like Ed said, is a business and you have to look at it as a business. And I say that because a lot of the people that are in the trades think that you use the word special. I like that. Well, my business is special. My mentor, Dan Kennedy, would always, he had a big sign up on at his seminars that was but dan you don't understand yeah. oh, my yeah. business is different right yeah yeah no. i there's so many derogatory comments that i want to make whenever i hear that it's right just, me too it's, it's just and it, none of them are helpful to the other individual because i need to suspend judgment and they can't help it they have a reason why they believe that that's right but but trust me your business isn't that unique it, yeah. it, you're unique, you're different, but the issues your business is facing are so predictable for the size of business, the age of the business, the competitive landscape and the market in which you're serving. And you can, you can kind of like just predict the future about what you do it. I do it. We, we, we oftentimes get credit for being smarter than we are. It's not that we're that smart. It's that we understand these issues go with this set of circumstances. Yeah. That's what happens. Yeah. And so in order to grow, you have to start to build a team of people around you that really can do the things that you aren't good at. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs also or business owners don't like to hear that because they like to be the Dan Sullivan calls it the rugged individualist where 
you know, I can sell, nobody can sell as good as me, I can run this and I can run that, nobody's going to do it as well as me. The reality of it is you're, you really only have two or three jobs in the business. And the most important one is where are we going? What does that vision look like? And building the resources around that vision. That's really like your main job. Doing the work is not your job. Doing the work is somebody else's. If you don't want to do the job of the CEO or president, that's okay. But then you shouldn't be the CEO or the president. Right. Clay Mattel, founder of Aileron, said this. And I, I think I quoted him last time. But I think so. Just because you own the business doesn't mean you're the right person to run it. Yeah. And so if if you don't want to do those things, it's okay. If you want to swing the hammer, if you want to, you know, run the, the nail gun, whatever it is, if that's what you want to do, great. But then have somebody else that's going to run the day-to-day -day business, the business is designed to serve you. You're the owner. So if that's what you want to do, great. But don't think that you could escape the responsibility or that someone has can escape the responsibility of looking to the future, finding resources, organizing things, removing obstacles that keep people from doing their jobs. And again, the average entrepreneur never signed up for that when they started their business but they find that that becomes the obstacle to the business getting to the next level. And what's interesting about that conversation, and again, I know that a lot of the, the people that are listening that are the bigger companies, they get this, but it's really, it's the, it's the people that are starting out or the people that are stuck that this is a tough concept to grasp. It's like, well, wait a minute. What do you mean I shouldn't be the one that's running the company? What do you mean I shouldn't be doing that? Or isn't that my job as the owner? And I think what happens with what keeps people stuck is that thinking, well, the thinking, but also the inability to be able to say, okay, well, look, I'm not good at most things. And so because I'm not good at most things, I need to start to build people around me that are good at those things. We all have certain talents. There are certain things that I hate to do, but the person sitting in the office next to me loves doing those things mm -hmm. and is so good at it. Why should I be doing things all day that I hate doing? What kind of a life is that? And so this goes to that conversation of you got to like somebody else, if you don't want to run the company, great. But what you have to do first, and I tell people this all the time is, that's fine. But first, build it so it's a machine. Yeah. Build it so it's got the profitability, the systems and the processes that predict that produce the predictable results so that the thing is a cash producing machine. And let's say it makes enough money to where you're done. You just want to go back and either sell or swing the hammer or go live on a boat. Bring somebody in, let the thing run you know, to serve you, then you can go do whatever the hell you want to do. I think it's the way we've, we've talked about this makes it sound like uh, crossing the Grand Canyon, leaping the Grand Canyon. Yeah, I'm trying to I, make it easier, but well, I, I think I'm not I, doing it a good job. Well, I, I, I think in fairness to people who are struggling and saying, I get it. I would like to do what you're telling me to do, Ed or Brian. I, I So I'm not fighting you, but I just, it's how would I do it? I how think would I do the, it? 
I think the first thing I would say is, okay, how would you have to run the business for you to leave for a week's vacation and not come back to a week's worth of work that otherwise would not get done? And how, how would you have to run the business to take that week's vacation and know that, you know, orders would come in the door, they get processed profitably, properly, correctly. Customers would, you know, concerns would get addressed. Vendors issues would be handled. What would you have to do just to leave the business for a week and know that the business didn't lose momentum? Things didn't get screwed up. And I'd make a list of things you'd have to do for that to take place. Yeah. And in, you know, in some cases, we're going to need some processes that we don't have. In some cases, we're going to need to train certain people how to think and and be able to make decisions that you might now be making for them. But if we can do those two things, find the right processes and teach people to think in the right way so that they can make decisions that you otherwise would make if you were there, I'll bet, I'll bet just about anybody listening to this, watching this could very quickly make significant progress in running a business more professionally. Yeah, I really do. Yeah. I don't, th- I don't, I don't think it's that hard. I think it's fair. I think it's, I, I should say it a different way. I don't think it's that complex. I think it's pretty simple. It would just take some work to execute those two or three things. Yeah. Yeah. You know, one of the things that it just kind of reminds me of is it's so much about how you think about your business. Mm-hmm. The older I get, the more I realize how important mindset is. I I almost think it's like, and I'd love to get your take on it, but I think it's like 90, 95% mindset and five to 10% skill set mechanics. I'd love to get your take on it, but it just seems to me like the people that understand what we're talking about here and can really say, yes, that's what I need to go and do they'll get the skill sets or they'll borrow the skill sets or rent the skill sets that are required. Mm -hmm. It's getting your mind to that place that without that in place, it just can't happen. Well, I very much agree with what your premise that mind state of mind is, is disproportionately important. You could argue it is the most important thing. Some people might not agree with that, but I think if you look at a Elon Musk, if you look at a Steve Jobs, if you look at uh, a Mother Teresa, if you look at any of those folks that have done these exceptional things that most of us look at and say it's worthy of admiration. So it could be socially, it could be in business world, but either one's worthy of admiration. They had a, a mental outlook that they were not going to be constrained by whatever they confronted as obstacles. Yeah. So they had an indefatigable. They had a unlimited capacity to remain fully committed, no matter how difficult it became. Right. And there's a a weird thing about our brain. The subconscious does not know the difference between fact or fiction. And uh, uh, I think it's neuro-linguistics, but uh, there were other people who wrote back in the 30s, 40s, and 50s about this. Uh, Napoleon Hill, Think and Grow Rich, and other individuals. So if if you repeat something to yourself, good or bad, often enough, 
your subconscious moves you in that direction. So if you tell yourself you're bad at something, you will not, you will definitely be bad at it. You will suck at it Yeah, <laughs> and, and you will be painful. It'll be painful for whenever you're in that situation. Likewise, if you tell yourself you're going to get good at something, you will get better at it. It doesn't mean you'll be world-class, but you will, you will make progress. And, and so controlling the, the thinking that goes on between our heads is the first real mastery that we have to have before we try to master working with others. So I, I think it's, it's really important. Can I get up from the mic here for just a second and grab a book? I want to show, show people so they can yeah, please. hold on a second. A friend of mine, let's see, this would have been uh, almost 50 years ago, made a recommendation to read this book and it's called as a man thinketh by James Allen. Do you have it? Oh yeah. Yeah. It's going to be right. I think it's there somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. It is 60, 65, 60, less than 70 pages, but it essentially equates your mind to being like a garden. And if you let doubt, if you let fear, if you let negative thinking grow in your garden, it's just like weeds and they choke the, the good things you're trying to grow. And so you, it's not ignoring reality, but it is choosing the thoughts that you, you allow to be part of who you are and what, what you're going to let consume your thinking. And so as a man, as a woman thinketh, though, that's what they will become. And, you know, as parents, we try to, to help our kids have the right thoughts, to think the right way. And part of it's, you know, I think one of the worst things as a parent, we, we, we hate to see this in our kids when they say, I can't. Yeah. It pains you as a parent when they say, I can't, when you know they can. Yeah. And so one of the great characteristics, I want to bring this back to management and leadership. So one of the, one of the attributes of a really great manager and leader, because I'm in leadership is a function of professional management. So one of those attributes that's just so powerful is the manager who can help a person become more confident. When we help people increase their confidence that they can do the job that we need them to do, their performance will go up. Their job satisfaction will go up. Their interaction with both internal and external customers will go up. I mean, it, it's, it is such a powerful lever to people's performance becoming what we want and need it to become. And, and so if a, if a manager is really the kind of manager we want, one of the things they'll do is appropriately inspire confidence in others. I love it. And I'll tell you just as an aside, and I'm looking at the clock and I have one big question for you at the end, I'm going to ask you to be a little bit of a fortune teller, but as companies grow at the beginning, you know, I really think that the mindset needs to be of a, we're a sales and marketing organization. Right. But once you get to a certain point, you really become a people development organization. Oh, no, that's right. I've got a friend, he's been on the podcast, Bob Quillen. And he actually just had a very successful exit as well. Lots of people are having very successful exits, but there are certain commonalities in these companies, very profitable systems and processes and amazing people. But one of the things that he did and does in his organization is develop people. He, he says we're a personal development company. 
another friend, and he was just recently on the podcast, Brian Gottlieb, he's got over 600 employees. And he says, we are a training organization. And that's what they're training on is how do you not just build the skill in the person, but how do you build their confidence? How do you give them the skills to not just be good at their jobs, but be good at life? Yes. Yeah. Right. Uh, it, and it's a whole nother level of business. You know, enterprise rent a car for whatever yeah. your thoughts about them. One of the things that's just so powerful about their business model is they have an ever a never ending pipeline full of managerial talent. Yeah. They are developing young people to become managers. And so they have the capacity to promote and never, and never get held hostage by, you know, do we have somebody that put in this position or not? They always have talent because they've been developing it. And then they also don't have to pay absurd amount of money to put, to put somebody in that role because they can develop more talent than they need. And they've become what I call a net exporter of talent. Wow. And they, they don't that before, but that's good as an ex exporter of talent. If you, if you can do one thing, you want to build as much talent as you need. And in an ideal world, you'll build more than you need and you won't be held hostage because somebody wants to leave you. Yeah. Okay. So let's go to this. Let's go to the last. I got I got one last question for you, Ed. I'm going to put you on the spot here and you don't have to answer the question, but <laughs> I love a challenge based on your I'll say this based on your experience. And, you know, you've seen these cycles, although this is an interesting one, but you've seen these cycles come and go. Right. We're in the middle of 2021 world's opening back up. Where do we go from here? I've done a little survey of other experienced executives. And I said, is, is $18 an hour starting wage going away or not? And the pretty overwhelming consensus is it's not. Yeah. So if you've been operating under the premise that, okay, this is temporary and then we'll get to back to 15, $16 or something like that, I would be hopeful, but I think it would be, you know, hope for the best, expect the worst. So I think I would be operating under the premise that uh, I'm going to have to have a business model that allows me to continue to pay that. That would be number one. Number two, everything's going to cost more. Yeah. So we are going to be in some kind of inflation. I don't know how much, how fast, but there is everything costs more. And if you're not passing those costs through, you, you need to be. And fight really hard to, to get those price increases that you're getting passed on and don't wait at thinking that they're, they're going to slow down because right now they're not. So your job is to protect your margins as much as possible. I would, which begs a good question about in the pursuit of protecting my margins, would I stop doing business with certain customers and even be a smaller company to stay more profitable? And I probably would. Yeah. What's dangerous right now is that you can take as many orders as you, you possibly can, but so many of them you can't fulfill. And so what good does that do you? You're going to have a ticked off customer and you're going to be putting, you know, uh, get frustrated with your suppliers because they can't supply. So I do think on that, in that vein, I would be exploring all kinds of alternative supply chain options because it, it's crazy. And I also think I would look at alternative products. If I had never used anything but wood, I'd consider fiberglass. I'm just giving an example. Yeah. Just be open to the premise there might be another way to do whatever needs to be done. And, and this kind of environment warrants that kind of thinking. 
I think supply chains are going to be in high disruption for at least another 12 months because there's so many people who stopped making stuff that have long lead times 12 months ago because they thought the economy was going to crash. And then when it didn't, now you have everybody and their brother trying to go get it. And so you still can't get shipping containers. You know, if you were, you're trying to bring stuff across the pond, stuff like that. And that, you, that doesn't get fixed in, in 90 days. Yeah. So, and for example, the docks are a problem because their, their systems and processes are bad and, I'm not take, trying to take shots at anybody, but the, the harsh reality is, you know, they can't get a, boats unloaded as fast as they're coming in. So stuff's sitting outside the harbor for two months. So again, it's supply chain at all levels is just in a high state of disruption. I don't see that changing this foreseeable future. The good news is I think there's going to be demand, but I would be at this point trying to make sure thinking, I would think about what we have to offer as being limited or l- more difficult to, get access to more of it than we currently have. So therefore I would try to maximize the amount of profit I could make on every transaction. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Ed, this has been great. Again, thank you. Where can people find you and your books? So far, only one. I got another one in process, but ed at the epleygroup.com is my email address. The epleygroup.com is the website. The book is Let's Be Clear, Six Disciplines for Professional Management Pros. And if you go to the website and you hit on resources, there's also a wonderful self-assessment where somebody can really get a, a sense of how well they're doing professional management right now. And, and so it allows you to take the test. It also gives you a score. It, it shows it, it shows whether you're in a strong area or area of risk and anywhere in between. And uh, I'm happy to talk with you about your results. I always enjoy being with you, Brian. You, you make me think you and I share a passion for helping these uh, listeners operate businesses that are more successful and sustainable. And anything I can do to help you or your listeners, please know I'm, I'm all for it. Thanks for all you do for so many people. Great. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. And you know, to everybody listening, until next time, this is Brian Kaskavalsian with G4 Marketing Group, and this is the Wealthy Contractor Podcast. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Wealthy Contractor Podcast. Let me ask you, did it help you look at your business in a different way? Did it spark an idea or ideas that you hadn't thought of before? Do you have a list of action items that you can take and implement into your business or your life today? I really hope so. If it did, I'd like to ask you a favor. Would you leave a five-star review of the podcast? By doing so, you'll help other contractors find the podcast more easily so that we can help them achieve more success, wealth, and freedom. And before you go, make sure you subscribe to the Wealthy Contractor Podcast so you get access to the latest episodes as soon as they're available. We're always striving to provide you with great content so you don't want to miss what's coming up. In fact, if you haven't already, make sure you go to thewealthycontractor.com and get your free copy of my latest book, The Seven Secrets to Becoming a Wealthy Contractor. Just pay shipping and handling and I'll take care of the cost of the book. So until next time, this is Brian Kaskavalsian.